a lot of what it is, is me saying yes to the things that scare me. That is something I want your listeners and anybody watching this with you and I to ask themselves, is that what they're doing? Are they saying yes to things that scare them? Because I think a lot of us don't do that. I think fear keeps us stuck. For me, the first big yes was definitely joining the Reserve Irish Army at the age of 17 without any clue what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) No idea, no military background, no idea. Wanted to do something fun. I've always loved the challenge. Hi, I'm Shannon Huffman Poulsen, and I want to welcome you to Facing the Wind, season two of the Grit Factor podcast. We are going to have a great time this season with episodes bringing you experts from around the world in leadership, grit, resilience, purpose, and storytelling. I've listened to you over this last year, your comments, your responses, your conversations, your questions. And this really is a season that has been designed with you in mind. This really is a season that's been designed to answer those questions that you need to know in order to fulfill that mission that I know we have in common, that mission of the Grit Institute, which is building courageous leaders for a better world. We're doing that through our courses online at thegritinstitute.com, through our books, and of course, through this podcast. And if you have a question you'd like to have included, please head over to thegritinstitute.com forward slash podcasts and leave your voicemail. It may be included on a future episode. Frida McCaig is an energetic and driven transformation specialist whose biggest passion is motivating and engaging people. She was once Lieutenant McCaig as she spent 20 years in the Reserve Defense Forces in Ireland as the first female to be commissioned as an officer in her unit. Now, Frida delivers authentic keynote presentations to large groups on motivation, empowerment, emotional intelligence, branding, networking, and culture change. Brita co-founded and leads the Lean in Ireland organization. And as part of the rollout of Lean in Ireland, she successfully created a number of peer mentoring networks across large corporates, industries, and a variety of other communities. Brita also worked across financial services for nearly 20 years, driving and overseeing extensive technical change programs in a number of institutions in Ireland and the UK. She delivers talks for companies and conferences on using Wagile methodologies. Brita works full-time she commutes extensively and she's a mom to three young boys. Well, yeah. you have your own incredible story and uh, and I have had the chance to hear it both in, in our own conversations and also at your TEDx talk, uh, which has been absolute dynamite as well as other uh, appearances that you've made. But maybe you could share a little bit about your story of saying yes to something when you were still just a teenager and what that ended up doing for your life and what that ended up meaning for you and how it is that you look at opportunities and the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I I often say to people in my talks that my career journey was like off like off road driving. (laughs) It feels like I've been in all of the the unusual trips and routes that you could possibly imagine. And yet they've all come together and have become this mashup of things I absolutely love doing. So it's amazing how life will work out. There are a few things that when I studied what what I had been doing in my life to end up in a place where I'm doing something I love and my life is actually very full of abundance in all in all ways and all elements. A lot of what it is, is me saying yes to the things that scare me. That is something I want your listeners and anybody watching this with you and I to ask themselves, is that what they're doing? Are they saying yes to things that scare them? Because I think a lot of us don't do that. I think fear keeps us stuck. For me, the first big yes was definitely joining the Reserve Irish Army at the age of 17 without any clue what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) No idea, no military background, no idea. Wanted to do something fun. I've always loved a challenge and... And that seems something fun and something different. And there's always been a little bit of a rebel in me. And I was told that that girls had never been allowed into it before. And this was the first time they had been allowed in, which at the age of 17, I would say I was in a position of privilege because I did not understand why girls would not have been allowed in there. Because in the school system in Ireland, 
there's very little uh, inequality in terms of gender. It was beyond that that I started to realize the way the world really works. <laughs> but by saying yes to joining the reserves because my friend asked me to, I ended up 20 years in the Reserve Defence Forces here in Ireland. I was taught how to coach. I was taught how to lead. I was taught how to motivate people. And I was taught how to play with all of the weapons. So I would not have got that experience at all otherwise as a 17-year-old girl in Ireland. Only I had said yes to something that most people would have said no to. Absolutely. Sisters in arms. Big time. (laughs) Yeah. So, So after that, what happened was I was in this competition and I'm not sure I ever told you this, Shannon, but I was in this soccer beauty pageant. Oh, exciting. <laughs> By mistake. <laughs> now, this is why you're in the Defence Forces? Yes. Oh. <laughs> yes, but it was nothing to do with the Defence Forces. It was a job that I had started working with long-term unemployed people and I was helping them figure out their skills, helping them write CVs. Some of them had never had CVs and didn't really see their skills as skills that were transferable in a workplace. Sure. And I was working in a team there and there was a lady there who became my mentor, a really strong female leader in there. And she put me forward for this pageant thing, which I ended up winning. And that uh, that was another yes that I would not have said yes to, uh, you know, absolutely when it was first mentioned fear kicks in. And this is why I'm saying this. I want people to start seeing this in in what they're doing every day. The fear kicked in and it was all about what would people think? What if I fail? What if I win? And all of the fears and fear of change and fear of uncertainty and all of that kicks in every time something is put in front of us that scares us. The difference in, in what I was doing was making myself say yes to things because I do like those challenges and, and because I'm a daredevil and I want to see what happens here. Where's the fun in this? I'm always after the fun. <laughs> Rita, where did you get that? Like, where does that come from in you? I, I can relate. And I, I don't know that I could actually answer that completely. So where do you think where do you think that comes from? I think my mum is very like that. So I think I was influenced by my mum. My mum had a very difficult childhood and she's very resilient. And she would rarely be able, you would barely be able to knock her back. Like nobody can say no to her. She'll just go do it anyway. And I think I learned, I think as a kid being conditioned in that environment around my mum, I think I learned that from her. So to do it anyway. And so that's, I think the pattern of my life has been quite like that. And I'm lucky because I was influenced by someone like that around me when I was young. But like she didn't get it easy for her. So she had to learn her resilience along her own journey. And I think that's a journey all of us have to go on. So I don't see, you know, the school of life or any particular school that any of us can go to to learn these things. Nobody's going to take you by the hand in this life. You've got to find that resilience in you and start exercising it. It's about practice. Yes, I completely agree. And it's so interesting. I just talked to somebody on a podcast yesterday and uh, and he was suggesting that maybe we just we just have it right. And I get to ask this all the time in my presentations as well. Like, do people just have grit and resilience? And you just either have it or you don't, or you just have a certain amount, or you don't have a certain amount. And the science is so clear that you you can practice it, right? You can build it. Practice is everything. So what happened with my life then was I ended up in the finance world and I've spent 24 years in the corporate environment, banks mostly based in Ireland plus the UK. And I've worked with global brands as part of RBS London, where I got loads of experience and worked with teams all over the world, Um, working hybrids, working agile, all of the cool things, did hackathons, learned how to work social media through all of that and always was able to find opportunities where I shouldn't have been able to find opportunities. (laughs) But again, I think it's because if you start becoming conscious of the decisions you make, then you will start to be able to choose differently. That's the big learning to your question about, you know, do you have it or do you not have it? It can absolutely be be learned. It was a learned behavior for me to a degree as a kid, because I had observed my mom being very brave and resilient. But I've taken people and I've coached them with this stuff and anybody can do this. It just takes a lot of commitment to the information that we give them 
and it takes them practicing it, which yes. is what I had to do as well for many, many years. I ran a transformation project on myself over the last 10 years because in those finance corporate environments, I was managing projects and delivering change, process change, people change, culture change, IT change. Sure. And and then I hit a place in my life where things started to go even more off road than they should have. Yes. Um, and, and instead of becoming the victim that I could well have become, I decided to go and study and find information somewhere in the world that could help me because I didn't know how to deal with the, the situation and the environment I found myself in. Right. And this applies to anyone that has found themselves in a situation or an environment that is not healthy and is not they're not thriving and they're actually going the other way. Yes. So there is loads of information in this world now, not in my parents' day. It was very difficult for them. If we think of the previous generations, they did not have Google. They did not have YouTube. And they had (laughs) no, we have it in our phones. I do laugh at people saying to kids, get off your phone. I want my kids on my phone, on their phone, but I want them using it different. I want young people and our generation to start using their phones to learn. Sure. YouTube is the biggest academy in the world. Mm. If anybody wants to learn anything, they go there. There's yes. loads of information there. So to anybody who finds themselves in a, in a more off-road journey than they think they should be in, learn your way out. I have a favorite mantra that I come up with during lockdown, Shannon, because I think in lockdown, particularly in Ireland, it was very tricky. Mm. Um, and most of the usual ways that people had to cope with life or to make themselves happy or to find fun or joy had been removed. So I came up with a new line called find new ways. And it's really about challenging ourselves to see what am I missing here? Yes. Yes. If we are in a place that is not healthy or not thriving or we're not happy or we don't have joy in us for whatever reason, then I want us to stop and ask why we should have. Yes. Life should be a lot of fun. And when you know what you're doing in life, it does become a lot of fun. Yes. But until that, I think you have to learn. It's, I do say to people, it's no different to you learning IT skills. Sure. You learned how to, to fly airplanes and, and helicopters. That's and right. Fighter planes. Someone taught you this stuff. Our grit, our resilience, our ways of coping, our ways of overcoming and achieving can all be taught as well. And, you know, I love how, because you've said a couple of times, and I'm, I'm keen in on this word that that you you decide or you commit, right? And this, you know, the, the, grit, the grit triad that we talk about all the time in the grit factor is this commit, learn, and launch. And, and I use commit in a different way there, but I love that you're using that word commit because it really helps to underscore this idea that that um, that there is both agency that is is the opportunity. We have agency to be able to take steps to decide how we're going to face these challenges, either be the victim or take positive steps. Uh, but we do have to make that decision, don't we? We do have to yeah. make that commitment. And that, that was something I learned within my project, me, that I set up on myself to understand us humans our backgrounds, our condition thinking, where we're at in life and is that where we want to be? And if not, then where do we want to be? And then build yourself a plan as to how you're going to get there and start treating it with the commitment and the priority that we treat everyone else and all our work with. Um, but, But in that study of the self, so introspection, where I got really into studying my own thoughts, my own background, where did I get these ideas? Where do I get my default thinking? Is that the healthiest thinking I could have? Is it serving me and those around me? What I started to understand within all of that is that we do have choice of thought. Yes. Now, that is not common knowledge, I think, out in this world. And it's not mainstream conversation or mainstream education. Yes. But yet it's totally transformational. So when we tell other people as coaches or as speakers or as influencers that you can choose your thoughts, usually you're met with the look of confusion because that is not the that's not what people are in the habit of doing. Yes. And what I've st- studied and understood now about minds is we love familiar. Our minds love familiar. What's yes. familiar to us usually is default reactions. Mm. 
and we on autopilot default react. That's right. And so what we've got to do then is start making the choice of thought and yes. feeling and action something that we do consciously. Yes. So rather than go to default all of the time and think, feel and act on autopilot. Yes. We've got to consciously decide my thoughts. I can choose my thoughts today. They will then bring in my feelings and yes. my feelings and emotions will drive my actions, behaviors and yes. therefore my results. A hundred percent. That's so important. I'm so glad that you're speaking to that because that is something where I, I feel like I hear more and more and, and, and actually kids in school as well, right? There are so many challenges in the world right now. And, uh, you know, whether it's climate change or whether it's war or whether it's the energy crisis in Europe or whether it's the polarization politically, I mean, or the, the looming recession. And there's this sense of what I hear from people is this sense of, um, of of uh, uh, kind of despair, really, right? Mm. Like, oh, there's just, there's nothing we could do. I literally heard a ninth grader say, and, and this makes me just want to wring her teacher's neck, um, but she said, oh, we're just not gonna live as long because of climate change. And I was like, whoa, whoa, hold on a minute. You are one of the most privileged children in one of the most privileged countries in the world. And the your opportunity is to say, here is a challenge. How am I going to participate in making this better, right? And whether it's our own lives or whether it's a global challenge or whether it's an organizational challenge, we should be thinking and training ourselves to think about how do I accept the agency that I have? How do I take that opportunity and that responsibility to move forward and take positive steps? And gosh, it's no wonder our young people are, are all anxious and depressed because if they're being mm. taught there's problems you can do nothing about versus saying, here are the global challenges. How do you want to participate in the solution? Yeah. Gosh, when you take away agency, then 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 life is meaningless, right? But we do have yeah. agency. We're very fortunate for that. Yeah. And to your point, I, I see a world of overwhelm. Yeah. Um, I see rising levels of anxiety and rising levels of depression and rising levels of mental illness. Yes. Uh, I don't see an awful lot of preventative measure being yes. shared anywhere in the world. So we are we at the moment seem to be a, a world full of people who are struggling to find their way, don't have answers, don't have the know how. Yes. to get to the solutions that we need as a race. If you're inspired to go further in your own journey of grit and resilience, leadership and purpose, make sure you have your copy of The Grit Factor, Courage, Resilience and Leadership in the Most Male-Dominated Organization in the World, available anywhere books are sold. And invest in yourself and your team with courses at The Grit Institute. More information at www.thegritinstitute.com. And unfortunately for me, I was sort of forced into a corner, which made me learn. And I learned all of those solutions for myself, which yes. have enabled me to rebuild my life from scratch, you know, rebuild a career, start a new career. So it's all about the know-how. Yes. And so rather than like teachers or students or anybody feeling, yes, there's overwhelm. But there yes. is always another way of looking at that. And yes. that is the beauty of our fabulous minds. Exactly. I'm trying to teach people around the world, your mind is the best piece of tech gadget you will ever own. Absolutely. Everybody, right. So Christmas shopping, everybody, your know, presents, everyone's looking for tech gadgets. This is the best tech gadget you'll ever have. <laughs> and it's got 86 billion neurons in there waiting on you to hit the right buttons with it. You've That's got right. neural pathways and neuroplasticity that will grow with you as you learn. I would love for this world to start seeing our minds and our learning potential as yes. part of the solution, because it absolutely is. So, you know, because as a world, we all need anybody that has information that can help towards the solution have to do these podcasts. We have to share information as much as we can around the world, yes. hoping that other people will pick it up. I reckon that in about 100 years, that emotional intelligence and emotional mastery and regulation is going yes. to be part of a mainstream education and mainstream conversation. Because Absolutely. I think we will end up there anyway, because there is no other preventative or solutions that I see in this world that are going to actually help our human race. 
Well, it's also, I mean, in some regards, and this is getting into kind of a, a little bit of a tangent here, but relative to the artificial intelligence that's coming onto the scene, which is just amazing, a little bit yeah. fright, more than a little bit frightening, but certainly incredible. And one of, I mean, maybe the differentiator of what makes us human is that emotional intelligence, right? And I, I know yeah. that probably some of the people in the AI world will say that, hey, we're going to get there too with AI. And I I, I will maintain till my dying days uh, <laughs> that, that that humans still will have that human element. And you're yeah. so right, Rita, that, that people are struggling, um, but returning to that human element and caring for and developing that human element is is a differentiator for ourselves and for our organizations. Yeah. So I, I teach a lot on emotional intelligence in leadership. Yes. Um, and to your point there, your emotional intelligence will bring you everywhere. You, yes. Your emotional intelligence will bring you anywhere you want to go. But it's it's something that we've got to start opening our minds to and start researching and start wanting to learn. I've had some fabulous success this year with a lot of corporates that are starting to get curious, uh, more and more curious about emotional intelligence in leadership. And I know leadership is a topic that you are very passionate about too, Shannon. 100%. And I've had, I can't tell you how amazing it has been to, to go into so many different corporate environments and teach the likes of diagrams, techniques and tools on how to work your emotions. Because I think as humans, we are used to processes. Yes. So everything we do in life is a process. If you go online, you will be in a process as soon as you go online. If you go out to a shop, there's a process. You start somewhere, you do something else, you finish. It. So there are processes that we can teach people yes. how to understand their emotions, their thoughts. And therefore, they then navigate and they control and they decide their actions, behaviors, and therefore the results and outcomes, which I think is the most exciting thing in the world. <laughs> it really is. Well, tell me, like, if somebody were, let's say that you're a leader that has really been a, really completely focused pretty much on 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 your PL, on on revenue, on the bottom line, you know, right? Right, like the, the nuts and bolts. And you're realizing that you've missed a piece along the way and that you want to start to engage. What do you suggest? Like what what is one of the tools that you would start with? And and how would you have somebody start to do that work for themselves and for their organization? I think it's all about knowledge. So from what I have learned and back to the days where I was studying by myself and doing introspection and project breeder. Um, and learning about the choice of thought that we talked about. That's sure. where I started to really pull the threads on when we have choice of thought and I choose different thoughts, what happens then? Yeah. So I, I then was able to follow the processes. I was able to give other people the processes and let them try it. And yeah. once there's a the process, we as humans seem to be able to engage with that easily. And sure. once it's a simple, easy process, Everybody can pick that up and apply it. Start practicing. You and I were talking earlier about it's all about practice. People mm. don't realize that. The amount of people that say to me, um, I'm just like that, or he's just like that, or she's just like that. No, no, no. You've just been conditioned like that. That's you right. can choose to be and to act and to get any kind of results you want in your life when you have the knowledge. Yes. So to your question about, you know, a corporate wondering where to start, it's about the knowledge that you're missing at the moment. It all will come back to education. And the good news is that there are many of us starting to come into the space yes. of education in this field. Yes. And many of us, yourself included, and many others that you've had on this podcast are very well educated, very well experienced and practiced in leadership with emotional intelligence. Right. So there is a body of people beginning to be available to corporates yes. and, and environments like that or conferences and events where this kind of education is usually shared yes. that actually really do have the nuts and bolts that people need. I don't yes. think there's another way of getting it. I think right. that if you just leave your teams to their own devices, then Again, you're not teaching them the skills they need to manage the emotional intelligence to even understand it. It's yes. all about educating people. That's all it is. Sure. So whilst we educate a lot in corporates on the technical skills, I think it's vital. And I have seen the difference that educating your people on emotional intelligence makes 
it is the difference in night and day. And I can tell you that with a shiver running up my spine because I have experienced it in some of the courses I have run this year. I've been very blessed to be working with a few corporates that have really got to grasp with emotional intelligence and their people have grasped it. And the feedback and the results and the messages I get from teams, from leaders, from CEOs, from everybody across the grassroots are, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. What do you hear? What do you hear when people are, because, you know, it's one thing to to know that you need to learn something. It's another thing to take a step towards doing that learning. It's a whole other thing to do that practice, to really, to to make that commitment, right? To truly engage. And so when they do engage, maybe with you on, on one of these workshops or or other learnings, what do you hear back from them? What, what changes at work when they do the work? Quite often they use words with me, like that was refreshing. What you've done with us is refreshing. It's empowering. Sure. I have more energy. I've, yes. I'm making progress. Yes. Uh, I can't believe the results I'm getting. Right. This has changed my life. It's like there, there's nothing I haven't had at this stage. And it's just for me, who's on a mission to try and, and share this information and you that is on the same mission to try yes. and help people get to their best version. That yes. kind of feedback is just, it's invaluable. It's, yes. it's its why I get up in the mornings, why I work so hard, why I write so many talks, why I, I share so much on social media. It's what's driving me. So, Absolutely. and it should drive everybody because if, if you can help another human to change their life and the lives of those around them, that's mm. like gold dust in human terms. It is. It is. And our world needs, I always like to say, our world needs each of us to show up as our best selves and contribute our absolute best, especially with all of the challenges that we face globally, right? We we all have to be able to show up and contribute our best stuff. And, and that's where understanding these, these tools and these techniques that you're talking about is important. But the other thing that's important is I, I know another big passion of yours and mine, which is the equity piece as well, and showing that everybody has a seat, not only at the table, but also to contribute at the table. Can you talk a little bit about your work there in equity? Yeah. Um, so from the, the many years, the 20 years in the reserves, yes, and learning about being excluded, you know, because of people's biases. And, and that was a long time ago. So bias wasn't as widely discussed as it is now. But because of that, I got interested in our unconscious biases. And I started to study because women and men have unconscious biases. And again, that has come from our conditioned thinking. It's not that you were born with these. You were not born with these. As babies, we were born perfect. And we've learned how to be biased against each other. We've learned how to judge each other. The bad news is we've also learned how to judge ourselves harshly. So I got very interested in all of that and And through looking at all of the minority groups in the world, what I started to discover was if we get caught up with the categories of why I'm different to you or you're different to someone else, then I think we lose a little bit of the human magic that is what we should be working towards. So what I like to do is work on just the inclusivity Mm. and, and just start seeing people that are different to us as valuable. Yes. So I used a line and I found this line somewhere years ago and, I, and I've and i put it to work many times and it is fabulous and other people have loved it as well. Our differences is our greatest strength. Yes. So yes. on all of our teams, in all of our communities and all of our social circles, we are all different. We all come from different levels in our path on emotional intelligence. We all have different backgrounds. We've all seen different things done differently in our pasts. We've been around different unconscious biases, kids. So we all have different. We are all totally unique. And I think that's the bit we should be celebrating. Absolutely. So rather than concentrating on the exclusion, can we all just start to see our differences as our greatest strength? Because if I listen to your views, Shannon, and you listen to mine, then we both learn. Yes. Yes. You've seen things different to me. Uh, I've seen things different to you. And yet here we are sharing views, observations on the world. That's how we learn. Absolutely. And it, it shouldn't matter whether it's race, culture, color. It, it shouldn't matter if we all could just try and see each other 
as there are differences is our greatest strength. And I have worked on teams that managed to do that well. And I will never forget those teams. Those teams yes. are etched in my brain as times in my work life that I was super proud. And, and we all were observing this fabulous team ethic and the feeling of being in a place and belonging to a team who were working really, really hard, but everybody felt valued. Yes. Well, and one thing you didn't mention uh, yet, so I'm going to mention it for you, is that not only did you join the defense forces, but you also became then, I believe, tell me if I'm I'm getting this right, but the first woman lieutenant in those defense forces. Is that right? Yeah. So in my unit, I became the first female lieutenant, which was very unusual because obviously in the history of that unit, there never had been a female lieutenant. And what I learned there was it was very unusual for me not only to be commissioned because I had come up the ranks. So I was dealing with that kind of change and that kind of, you know, responsibility and accountability. And and then what I realized was everyone around me were also trying to adapt to the the pips on my shoulder, which totally changed a lot of how people engaged with me. That's Mm -hmm. when I started to learn that leadership can be a very lonely place. Very much so. Yes. So even outside of the, the gender thing, Leaders can often, you know, not be told what's happening on grassroots. You lose the channel that you did have to what's actually happening on the ground quite often. Yes. Um, and, and I think that's an important one for people to remember who have leaders above them who they're not being very communicative with because they think that person is a bit of imposter syndrome and it's a bit of, well, that person's more senior to me. We shouldn't. Yes see our leaders like that. We need to start seeing our leaders as people who can influence our day-to-day experience and we can help them with that. Yes, yes. Well, I brought that up because I think that does give you a unique perspective on multiple elements of of nuance in that uh, environment where you already were the minority in that environment and then you really um, had that extra layer Put on top of that, which can be very hard when you stay in the same same group of people, right? And you're given yeah. a different layer of responsibility. Uh, but that also can be isolating, not only as a leader, but also as a leader who happens to be in the minority and um, and can help to give you a, a little bit of a sharper edge on the understanding and the requirements and the opportunities around equity, I think. Absolutely. And, and certainly what I learned a lot about was exclusion. Mm-hmm. So, being on the side of exclusion is very painful and feels very unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it is unfair, but it's other people's bias, which which is the piece we have to understand that that was just the learned environment that they were in. Yes. Um, but it's impacting, you know, that person who is being excluded. So it gave me insights to exclusion yeah. that I would not have had otherwise. Right. So then when I started in the corporate world, dealing with people from different cultural backgrounds. I understood exactly how it felt to be excluded, Mm -hmm. um, but for a different reason. Right. Um, And therefore it it left me in a position where I wanted to do everything I could to make them feel included. Yes. Because I understood what exclusion can do is, is make you disconnected, disengaged. um, And there's fear with it and fear of judgment and fear of failure and, and fear of uncertainty and all of those things, that's not what will help a human to thrive. Yes. So in all of my corporate career, I've always tried, because I understand it from having walked in those shoes, how it feels to be left out. I often say in some of the talks that I do on inclusion, if you've ever walked into a group of people, whether that's a, a bar or whether that's a party, and everybody's in groups and you feel a little bit like you are on the outside there, then you need to start thinking about how that felt as being. So if you felt a little bit excluded or not part of the party, that's what could be happening to people around you and work every day because you're not seeing it. Yes. Yes. So you could be excluding them unconsciously and not realizing that you're making them feel like you did when you were f- feeling left out. Who wants that? 
Well, who wants that? And also for the leaders who who do tend to look more at the bottom line than they do at this emotional intelligence, all of the studies are really clear that when you have that inclusion and you allow everyone to bring their gifts to the table, then, mm-hmm. then that does positively impact the bottom line, right? So, yeah. so you have both the, the reason to do it because it's the right thing to do, and you have the reason to do it because you will be more successful as a company if you make this happen as well, right? And I, I know we shouldn't have to caveat that, that in that way, but... Um, it's interesting because there was a study that was just done. I had just read about it this week and uh, uh, that young people today and that says so the younger generation are showing a greater resistance to women in leadership roles. Have you seen the same study? I'll send it your it, way. Yes. The suspicion is that when things start to get less stable, as I think most people are experiencing across the world right now, again, in every dimension, whether it's politics or economics or, or anything else, social, uh, then people tend to revert to more traditional understandings and traditional models. But there's a huge danger in that, isn't there? I mean, especially with with, I mean, I think we have record numbers of women in, as presidents of, of uh, and leaders of countries and and taking on corporate roles and responsibilities. To see this result of this study was really, really concerning. The future of our worlds definitely depends on having women in them. So if we have young people reverting to familiar condition thinking, yes. because quite often what happens is when we are in times of uncertainty, and like, look around the world, there is no certainty in this world for anyone at the moment. That's another point that I think we should talk about as well, in that we all need to get good with uncertainty because that is ahead of us all. But yes. if young people, when they, they feel uncertain and the fear of uncertainty is kicking in and the fear of change, they're reverting to the familiar conditioned yes. thinking. But that's not going to be diversity of thought. And that is the danger that you know, maybe they do something to exclude women senior leaders or those senior leaders are not being supported. Those women senior leaders are not being supported the way they should be. We collectively are not going to get that richness in that diversity of thought that we badly need. And we've also seen of the last decade in some of the crash and burn decision making and economics where we had all, you know, too heavily weighted in one gender making decisions. So it's not about that we want women taking over. We want diversity of thought because women bring some really important traits to the table in decision-making, as do men. I want to see us together at those tables. And I think in our generation, we have a lot of influence whether we realize it or not. So if younger generations are starting to revert back to traditional, familiar condition thinking, then it's up to us as a generation to do the right thing and to make sure that we are creating a future for those people that has the right diversity of thought at the table, getting the right decisions made, building the future that they need badly to be ahead of them. Absolutely. I, you're you're so right. And, and I love that uh, reminder, which is so important, is that all of us have to get good at dealing with uncertainty. I mean, the reality is it's there all the time. I think it's particularly evident now. Um, we, we never really know what's going to happen. And uh, and right now there are, there are no indicators <laughs> that things will stay the way that they are. In fact, there are indicators to the contrary. And so there is that requirement for, and this is the last part of the grit triad too, is adaptability, right? And adaptability is going to be the key to success. But we do that best when we're in diverse teams and when we're in teams where everybody is bringing their best to the table. It's um, it's interesting. I on I have worked both in the for-profit and non-profit sectors where there is, or and the military as well, where there's either an all-male team or an all-female team, and neither one of those are are particularly functional. I will say. I, I bet you've experienced yeah. the same thing. I, I, I would not serve on a board unless it was fairly equally weighted men and women at this point in my life, yeah. and. Uh, it absolutely brings the best of everybody to the table in a way that a heavily weighted board, either way, either all women or all men, I think just really lacks a perspective. Yeah, totally agree. I think the richer decisions that we should be all after will come from the the greatest variety. I would say that to make us think beyond even gender. I mean, if we can get people around our tables that have different cultural and different backgrounds to all of us, the more variety we have around our decision making tables, the better. Yes, definitely. Because that way everybody's view gets considered 
And therefore, we're not we're not making decisions with blinkers in some cases. And I mean, conscious awareness and unconscious awareness are, you know, two very different things. If we are unconsciously making decisions and we have groupthink going on and we all talk each other around to a decision because we've allowed groupthink to cultivate. Yes. um, Who says that that was the right decision? I would rather be making decisions at boards where there are there is variety around the table because that will give me the, the sense of safety around we've had loads of different views on this. We've had different angles on this. There's different lenses going on this decision. And yes. therefore, I'm happy that we are making quality, rich decisions here, not yes. decisions that have been swayed by one, you know, group, majority group or the other. That is dangerous, in my view, in, in business context. So much so. And if you think of your clients, your clients, no matter who you are, clients are a diverse group, right? And you never actually truly know how diverse they're going to be. And you've got to have different perspectives at the table if you're going to be able to serve the increasingly diverse client base that is really true for any industry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can, you know, choose to ignore all of this if we want. and, And that's what I do see sometimes in some corporate environments. But your decisions are going to cost you money. (laughs) they're going to cost you in resource they're going to cost you in time they're going to cost you in mistakes so if we want to be making really the best decisions we can get made at those tables then we have got to consciously stop and think have I got variety of thought here have I got variety of background here have I got variety of diversity at these tables or best of luck (laughs) yeah no it's right (laughs) You said something there about the uncertainty piece, and I just wanted to come back to that because I think that's a major piece for everybody in this world today. When I was, as I referred to earlier, working on Project Breda and I was trying to transform myself and study myself and figure all out what I what I was uh, ended up reading about was Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And and I was trying to figure out what makes us as humans feel safe, secure and thrive. So what environments do we need? And I was learning about the fear of uncertainty and the fear of change. And I started to think about that. And then I realized I've had nothing but change. My career started in the finance industry in the year 2000. And I remember being told the first day that I entered the building that everything's starting to change. Mm. And I remember thinking to myself, that's odd because I was in the military. Everything was changing continuously for me there. Um, And I was coming into an environment that thought it shouldn't be changing. People seemed shocked culturally that it was changing. And I find that interesting. And I observed over the last 24 years that it has never stopped changing and it never will. Then what I started to to learn is as humans, if we need certainty and change and we like that and it makes us feel secure, we're not going to have that. Yeah. And look at COVID, what it brought with it for the entire world, a whole lot of uncertainty and a whole lot of change. And some people were thrown into a whirlwind of change that they'd never experienced in that level, you know, level of change before, which I think was shocking for many of them. And it was quite upsetting. And they went through the the emotional steps that a change process will bring you to. And I would encourage anybody to look up change curves if you want to see the steps that we go through emotionally with every change. But the, the bottom line here is, I cannot guarantee any of us certainty on the, in the coming years, in the coming decades. So what are we going to do as people? We're going to get good at dealing with change. That's the most sensible approach to this. What I learned was I have to start making change my unacceptable friend. Mm. It's kind of like keep your enemies closer. Yes. Change is going to keep coming. So I better get good at dealing with it. Sure. If I want to turn find opportunities and if I want to be able to turn them into successes and if I want to use learnings and find new solutions from learnings then I have to be good at rolling with change so I decided that instead of you know frantically worrying and fearing change and fearing uncertainty ahead that I would just start making it my unacceptable friend and that change was going to be part of my life which it has been and it continues to be Yes. And I made peace with that, which now leaves me in a great position because change does not bother me in the slightest. In fact, I see it as an opportunity because with every change that has ever come in anybody's life, there will be opportunities within it. If you yes. have a growth mindset, you will find them. 
If yes. you have a victim mindset and you think that the change is being done to you, you mm. may not find the fabulous nuggets that were buried in there. Yes. Yes. It's like treasure. If you have the right mindset, when you're going through the process of change, you will find opportunities in there that you would never have found if that change hadn't come along. A hundred, that is a hundred percent the case. And so if you were recommending to people besides making this your friend, making this your unacceptable friend, which I love that, that perspective, what, um, where would you suggest that they start? I love the concept that mindset is a big piece of this because my, at the end of the day, none of the work that we need to do can be done without the right mindset. Is there any other place that you'd have people really focus in on? What, I, what I'm teaching people is how to understand a growth mindset, how to understand a victim mindset. Because again, if we don't teach people this information, they're not going to know it. So they yeah. won't realize that they're in one mindset or another. Yes. So it takes research. There's loads of information online. And again, I'm back to the phone. I want everybody using their phones to research and to learn and to get their feeds full of this kind of information that they learn a little bit every day. Every time they go to do a flick on the phone, they've picked up another piece of information. That is the world I want for us. So growth mindsets, victim mindsets, fixed mindsets. I would I would just start researching there, which is what I've done. There's loads of articles, there's books, there's studies, there's articles, there's YouTubes, there's endless information in there. But without us seeing that for ourselves, we're not going to recognize it when it happens to us. So it's part of a lot of the leadership courses that I'm delivering. It's here's what a growth mindset will feel like. Here's Mm -hmm. what a fixed mindset will feel like. Here's what a victim mindset will feel like. So the people start to spot that happening to them and then they recognize. So it's all that awareness. If you're not aware and you're not educated and you're not informed on this stuff, how are you going to see it? You're not. So I think the onus is on us as a generation at the moment to learn this ourselves. I yes. want to be better. I want people to find their best version and I want them to know that they deserve the best and therefore they should research this stuff because they're worth it. Yes, yes, yes. And yeah. you know what? You've told us these stories over the course of this, this conversation that I think is a good reminder too that where we start with this commit part of the grit factor and the grit triad is in story and purpose. And if you have that growth mindset that you're talking about, and it is so important to understand how it is that you can build that because you can build that mindset and you can opt into that mindset and decide on that mindset. Once you've done the work and you do have to do also that work on your own story and your own purpose, and you've talked about your experience with that as well, you come back and you anchor yourself in that because that is an anchor. That doesn't have to change your story and your purpose. Uh, If circumstances change significantly enough that you, you change the arc of your story, that's fine. You're still connected to your purpose and your values. Those don't have to change. And so I, I feel like there's, there's a real opportunity in the agency of saying, this is what's important to me. This is how I respond to things. I don't know what I'm going to have to respond to, but this is how I choose to do that. And, and again, that helps to decrease the anxiety, right? And bring it back into your court. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen externally, but you get to decide how you'll respond to that and how that will be a part of your story. Absolutely. And I love the word anchor. Um, and, and what I'd add to that is when I discovered that as humans, we work best when we have a very clear mission and a clear yes. why yes. in mind for ourselves, exactly. then change won't be the blocker that it currently is to many people. Change yes. will help them get there, yeah. which is a whole different way to see it. So in terms of the anchor, I think everybody needs vision of what it is they want to achieve in life. And I use the word legacy a Mm. lot on my courses. And legacy is a powerful word. I think most people don't think about it too often, but I want them to. I want them to ask themselves, what do I want my legacy to be? Why was I put on this earth? What impact have I made while I was here? For some reason that we were all put here. We were all born with special, unique skills and quirky talents. We're all good at something different to each other. And there's that's no coincidence because yeah. the universe is too amazing for that to be a coincidence. I think we're all supposed to be playing to our strengths and our skills and our unique talents. We're supposed to be working towards a very clear mission and our legacy. And then things like change and uncertainty and all the other 
blockers and, you know, unexpected sort of paths that pop up and doors that close, they won't stop any of us. We will be able to overcome change. We'll be able to overcome uncertainty. We'll be able to keep our eye on the prize, keep our legacy in mind. I did an awful lot of vision boards with people. And that is why I do that, because I think what I've learned is our minds really work well with pictures and words. Mm, And if we do not have a blueprint drawn out for our minds, then our mind is going to be often in confused state and not sure what to do, not sure where to go next. And quite often then we'll coast. So we'll just coast and we'll do what we see everybody else doing around us. Is that going to get us our legacy? I don't think so. So I want everybody to be very purposeful about what their anchor, what their mission is, what their why is in this world. Yes. And and all of the rest will come easier to those humans if, if we can give them that. That is so true. And I think people are they're they're yearning for that, right? They're yearning. Yeah. So this is maybe a, a great thing to to kind of pull everything together full circle. What is Brita McKegg's legacy? And how do you think it about your vision going forward? Yeah. I, and it's very clear to me. I have three vision boards upstairs. Um, and I'll tell you a wee story before we finish, Shannon. My One of my vision boards, this is how important words and pictures become to your mind and how much of a blueprint they can become. One of the days, my vision board was in the boot of my car. I had taken my kids on holidays to Donegal in Ireland, which is very windy. Um, and the vision board blew out of the boot. And in that split second, all I could think of was the blueprint for my future is blowing down the street. I ran after the vision board and I retrieved it all wet and muck. I put it in the boot of my car and it is back on my wall. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. That's crazy. But even even until that happened, I hadn't realized how important that blueprint had become. Those pictures, I could tell you exactly what's on my vision board upstairs. It is something that I've been engaging with for probably the guts of four years now. Mm. Um, And my legacy to your other question is what I want to do in this world is I want to teach people how to understand their own minds. I want to teach them how to understand how their minds and their thoughts work, where they got them, how how to improve them and upgrade their programming and the data that's running in their minds. It's all very doable and it's all very easy, actually, when you get the right people teaching you. And I want them to be able to manage and be the, the choice in in the thoughts that they're running um, and therefore the feelings that they are experiencing every day, also their actions and behaviours. I want them choosing those consciously and I want them to get the results and action and outputs, performance and brand that they would love. Yes, That is my legacy and I am going to keep going <laughs> until I have hit a place where I've done a lot of it. I've done a lot of it already in small bits, but I I have a major global mission in my head, thanks to my vision board upstairs, and nothing is going to stop me getting there. Nothing is going to stop you doing anything, Brita. I am completely <laughs> convinced, and I'm just so glad to, to know you on this incredible journey. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom and your stories and your humor and uh, and, and the bright light that you are in this world. Well, Shannon, could I be in any better company? (laughs) Head over to your favorite podcasting platform and hit subscribe. Then go over to YouTube and hit subscribe as well. We'll be posting the uncut interviews over at YouTube. And of course, follow along at Shannon H. Poulsen and at the Grit Institute on Instagram and at LinkedIn. I can't wait to see you for this season. You don't want to miss a single episode. And make sure to download your free copy of The Grit Factor Manifesto at www.thegritinstitute.com forward slash manifesto.